Hey everyone, welcome to the Couch GM Podcast. You can find the full video version of this podcast on YouTube, or you can listen to the audio version on whichever major podcast platform you prefer. Make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel, and you can also find me on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook. Just search the Couch GM and you'll see my logo pop up. And with that, let's get into the podcast. All right, welcome to the Couch GM Podcast. Today we're joined by Seattle Times Mariners beat writer, Ryan Dibish. So first off, Ryan, thank you for uh, joining me today. Uh, not a problem. So you're in Houston now with the team, correct? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, a balmy 85 degrees with about 100% humidity out. It's stormed all morning. It's really gross out right now. It's like, imagine being inside a hockey locker room with a, <laughs> with a cranked up heat. It's pretty gross. Man. Um, so they they had played a night game in, in San Francisco and then, you know, had to travel to Houston for a, a game the next day in Houston. I mm-hmm. heard that the team showed up to the hotel at like 4 a.m. in the morning. Yeah, as I think I guess it was about closer to 5. They landed at 4, but by the time they get off the plane and everything, you know, they, they get bus to the hotel. I think it was about 5 a.m. Because I talked to some guys, and they were basically, they went to bed about 5.30 in the morning. Man, and then a night game the next day, or the same day. Um, did you fly the next day, I assume, since you fly separately? Yeah, yeah, I flew out of SFO uh, about 6 a.m. Okay. Uh, and then because I'm kind of, you know, with status and stuff, like you want to make sure, like I either fly Alaska or American, that way if something happens with my bag or if I have to make a flight change, I always um, do that. So um, so I, had a, I flew out at 6 a.m., flew to Dallas-Fort Worth, then had a layover, and then because of all the thunderstorms here, I had a – I, I was delayed a bit, but yeah, it was a long day. I think I got up at 3 a.m. and I got home from the park that night about midnight. So it was a, it was a long day for certain. Man, yeah, I want to get into kind of a day in the life in a second, but um, a lot of the people that are going to be listening, I'm sure follow you on Twitter already, mm-hmm. uh, who follow the Mariners. Can you just walk us through some of your background with how you got into what you're doing today and and uh, your experience with that? Yeah, sure. Um, so um Born and raised in Haver, Montana, uh, up in by North Central Montana, about 20 miles from Canadian border. Uh, I always wanted to do to be a journalist, I think. Uh, um, but just I went to college to play baseball at a small school in North Dakota called Dickinson State, and they didn't have journalism there. So I got a teaching degree. And I think my parents thought that I was just going to be a teacher and a coach. And then um, I basically uh, I did my student teaching and realized I hated other people's kids. <laughs> and so I uh, convinced my parents to go back to journalism school at University of Montana. Um, and while I was there, I got an internship at the the News Tribune in Tacoma. And I was out there. I spent, you know, three months or two months of the summer out in Tacoma um, and, you know, started really like sports writing, really loved it. Um, and so I was working at, a, you know, when I got done, I got worked a couple of smaller papers, one in my hometown, one in Idaho covering Idaho State football and basketball. And um, the News Tribune called me back and said, hey, would you like to come out and interview for a job? And it was like a prep coordinator job, which I didn't get, but they actually wanted me for, they hired me for a general assignment reporter. Um, and I moved out there in t- end of 2006. I think I covered my first baseball game, my first Mariners game by myself about three or four days later. Um, and then 2007, part of my job was the backup Mariners writer and it just kind of went from there. And so I basically started 
covering the Mariners on a semi full-time basis in 2007. And then I moved up to the times in 2012 when uh, Jeff Baker left the beat and wanted something else and times called me. So I've been doing this for a while. Uh, yeah. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think, yeah, 2007 until now, that's a long time. About 15, 16 years now. Yeah. I thought, you know, I never, you know, I didn't know. I mean, I knew I wanted to cover baseball. I didn't want to at first, but uh, I had a sports editor who told me that I was going to be their future Mariners writer at the News Tribune, and I kind of argued with them that I, I want to cover college football. Yeah. And they actually took me off the Mariners for a year. I mean, I still help cover it, um, but uh, they moved me at a University of Washington football and basketball for a year. Uh, it was when Steve Sarkeesian was there. Um, we did not get along very well, Sark and I. Um, <laughs> But I did that for a year, but I I kind of always knew that baseball was probably the best for me. Um, so, yeah. And then like I said, I've been at the Times ever since. Gotcha. Cool. So I, I assume that you're a Mariner fan growing up being in Montana, or did you have another team? No, team I, I actually I actually like the Twins. I didn't really love the Twins. Like, I didn't have a favorite team. You know, like in Montana, I'm, I'm old too. So, like. You know, the Mariners, we didn't get Mariners games when I was growing up. We had WGN and TBS. So you got Cubs and Braves games. A lot of my friends are Cubs fans growing up in Montana. Okay. I um, My first um, baseball game was 1984, 85. I went to my first baseball game. It was a Twins-White Sox game. And then so we had family that lived in Minnesota. And so we would go to the Twins games every year. And I loved Kirby Puckett because he was short. You know, I was short. So like growing up, Kirby Puckett was probably one of my favorite players. I had the uh, the old Costco Brothers poster of him. It said, no wall is too tall, you know, and had him there. And so, yeah, I mean, he was – they were – the Twins were my favorite. I, I never really was a Mariners fan, but I remember in 89, I was at a Twins game, actually, um, and Griffey was a rookie. It was 89, yeah. Man. And I was mesmerized by Griffey, you know, so I, yeah, I didn't really have teams, you know, like I just, I never had a team really that I loved. I just loved players. I love Griffey. I love watching Griffey, but yeah, I never actually saw a game in the kingdom. We went out there in 93 and that was when the, uh, the, the tiles were falling from the roof or whatever. So they, <laughs> we couldn't go to a game, man. Well, yeah, I mean with you, so with you being with the Mariners for so long, you've really seen the ups and the downs over the past. Yeah. Decade plus. So, um, I guess, what are your thoughts on where things are at currently compared to, you know, when you first started maybe? Yeah. Like 2007, they were okay, but it was kind of like a, a, a fake good, you know, they were, they were a 500 team, they were over 500, but like it was that a negative run differential and it just was kind of, they weren't that good of a team. And then like 2008, the first year where like I traveled and did stuff like fully, I mean, they lost 101 games and that was like the biggest collection of jerks and asses and just like bad dudes to cover. Like I was midway through that. They were terrible. And uh, and I thought, I'm, I can't do this. I'm never going to make it. I hate every one of these players and they all hate me. And, you know, John McLaren was the manager at the time. He hated me. You know, and I and I, I was wasn't very good. Like I was totally unaware of how things worked and, you know, and I was. I thought I knew everything and I didn't know anything. And so like, I understand why they didn't like me, but like, it was, it was pretty brutal. Um, but yeah, like I look at where they are as an organization now from a baseball standpoint, like how they run the game or how they try and build a, ro 
an organization or anything. It's so much better than it was before. They're smarter. They have smarter people running things. Like I don't always agree with how they do a lot of stuff, but it's just like it's more organized. It's it's more efficient. You know, it's obviously more modern now with everything, you know, has changed so much too. But like they're just it's a better run organization than it than it was in 2008 partially just because everything's gotten better in baseball, you know, technology, you know, thinking analytics, everything is, is much better than it was before. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, um, like, I just think they have a better plan of what they want to be as an organization, at least from a baseball standpoint than they did under Bill Bavese or Jack Zorinzik. Like my biggest knock on Zorinzik all the time was like, he was reactionary to the moment. So like if there was, a 10 game stretch and he didn't like it, he would change everything after 10 games instead of, you know, being a little bit more patient and understanding that what you built, you have to let play out for longer to really see if it's good or bad. Like just reacting to what you see in 10 games is, is a, a bad way to operate. Yeah. And that, that definitely speaks to, especially this year, because I mean, heading into the opening day, you know, I was excited for the lineup. Sure, that you know the bench could be deeper. There could be another one or two bats there that that could really help. But Depoto and Hollander, you know, have let things really play out this season. We're now halfway at the halfway point, and they haven't really ma- made any big drastic reactionary changes. Um, so I think that kind of speaks to some of their mindset. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, you know, they're they are not reactionary people. They don't make reactionary decisions. Um, they believe in kind of what they do, like. Yeah, you're right. The roster was flawed uh, to start. Um, like, I thought they were a bat short. And, you know, I don't think, I mean, you know, I don't, I know Scott Service didn't want to have time and Listella on the opening day roster, but some injuries and stuff happened. And that's the way it was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they didn't have a bench, a great bench. They don't really use the bench, though, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't think it was a great roster, but I also didn't like, like I knew regression was possible for some of these guys, but I also didn't know that it would be significant, like the significant slow starts that Julio and Suarez had, even when France was bad there for about that three week stretch. Um, I just didn't think it would be that um, team wide from the position player standpoint. And I didn't think, you know, it would come all together at once. Like, yeah, you're going to have some guys that struggle from time to time. Uh, but like, I figure like there'd be at least two or three guys good enough to carry them. But like they were so bad, like Julio and Suarez and Teoscar, you weren't getting as much from France. You know, you weren't getting anything from anybody other than maybe JP or Jared. And they just couldn't withstand it. That's why they were so bad. And I didn't think that would happen. Like, you know, you, you don't expect it to all be so significant and all at the same time. Um, so I think that was an issue. Yeah. And then, you know, the offseason additions with uh, Teoscar Hernandez, he had a super slow start. Uh, Colton Wong has been a shell of him, himself from last year. Um, but, I mean, looking at the standings today, they're 500 after that win against Houston last night. They're, um, I believe, 6-4 and four over the last 10 against um, the Rays and the Giants. And looking back to last year, they're basically exactly where they were on this date last year. They're right at 500. So, um Things have changed with with the scheduling and the divisions and you know the interleague play, but um, yeah, I guess we'll we'll see where they're at. Um, it's it's crazy too. Like one good week or one you know one ten game stretch where you play pretty well, it can change your fortunes. Um, you know, and I 
the one thing is, is the AL East has slowed down a little bit. Some of those teams, I mean, it's still going to be hard. Like it's they're they're not in a terrible spot, but I don't, you know, they're not in a driver's seat by any means either. You know, and like I haven't, you know, last year, like yeah, no, I don't think anybody you know says, well, you can't expect to win fourteen games in a row. Nobody expects to win fourteen. I don't think anybody really thought they were going to do that again when they were playing so poorly. They just needed to play better. You know, it's not. It's, it's systemic in the sense that like they they just they were having kind of I guess selfish isn't the word but they just were having um I don't know if selfish I don't know they just were having like at bats where the priority just wasn't you know getting on base it was like more of like you know I got to get the hit you know and it's not like exactly. the mindset is the mindset is isn't just like you know, it's like a selfish, I mean, everybody's selfish from a standpoint of like, you want to get a hit. I mean, like you want to get a hit, you want to get the big hit, you know? And the problem was it was hindering them to the point of um, having non-competitive bats because they were swinging at garbage or swinging early, all this stuff. And, you know, it's like the whole control the zone mantra. Everything's like control the zone is like, like walking or like being so decisive in the strike zone. What it is, is like the idea of control the zone is just know what you hit well, look for that pitch to hit and hit it hard. It's not like, you know, right. You know, it's not like this, you know, when people are going oh, control the zone very well because they're striking out. Well, yeah, I know. I mean, that's you swing and miss, but like it's more about swing. It doesn't matter if you swing and miss as much as like if you swing at the right pitches when you swing and miss. Like if your decision making is the proper decision, you know, and you're win, you know, you're making a good choice on one on OO, on one one, on two one counts. Then that's that's the difference maker. That's kind of their philosophy. But um, yeah, I, I just I think they're they're fine. I don't think they're a great team. I think they're a good team. Um, the math is just different because the division is different. You know, it's a little bit better than it was before. But yeah, we'll the Rangers see. came out of nowhere. Yeah, and we'll see. Like, you know, like the Angels were, have been good, but now you know they're gonna have some guys out. So we'll see how that affects them. Um, but yeah, yeah, I don't I don't know that they're terrible. I don't. They're they're just. They're kind of they're okay. They're a good team, but they're not a great team. Yeah, and speaking to uh, what were you ta- what you were talking about, n- not necessarily selfishness, but yeah, people wanting to be that guy that has the big hit. Uh, that that kind of culminated in that national series. You know, bottom of the tenth inning, bases loaded, no outs. They can't get anything across because everyone's trying to be the hero. Versus, um, someone made the comparison to the guy at LSU. I think his name is Tommy Tanks. Oh, yeah. And you know, when he has two strikes on him, he widens his stance way out. And he's just trying to level the bat, just make contact and get the job done. You know, that's yeah. kind of the approach that people might need to have in some of those situations. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, they just, I mean, they just were bad at bats too. Like, like they were swinging at non-strikes and like, let's be honest. I mean, the team is what, what would take this team from being pretty good to great is one player. It's right. It's the kid in center field. Yeah. He's that good. Like we sat with a scout, um, former scout for the Mariners. Um, he got let go by DePoto and stuff. He's a longtime scout with the Mariners. Now he scouts for the nationals and he sat, he was sitting with us, you know, in the press box, like they don't know fans or your listeners don't know, but in the press box, they have like these big tables in the middle part. And that's where I kind of sit and sp- spread out all my crap and like have all my, you know, junk everywhere. But he was sitting there talking with us, you know, and I talked to a lot of pro scouts, not as many as I used to, cause there's not as many anymore, but, like he just, we're talking about the Mariners and such. And I just said, you know, the big thing for, you know, he's asking like, what have you seen? I said, they don't hit spin. 
You know, they don't hit sliders. They don't, you can get them out, you know, and, you know, he noticed that and he just goes, boy, Julio swinging anything, you know, he's just really over swinging on a lot of stuff. I was like, yep. And he goes, thing is, he goes, it doesn't matter what he's hitting right now. He goes, our report will say, like, well, the report I'm sending in and the report we use is he's still the, the difference maker on that team that in one plate appearance, he can totally change the course of a game. So, you know, we're going to still, regardless of what he's doing in the moment, we're still going to be ultra aware of where he's at in the lineup when he's coming up in a game and very careful about what they're going to give him to hit. And so it's like, that's the guy, he's the difference maker. When Julio's rolling, the team's a lot better. We've even seen that, you know, he isn't hitting homers per se, but he's getting on base and he's producing and he's getting hits and causing chaos on the bases. but he's just, he's not getting out, you know, as much. And like he's having any in the outs he's making are more productive. And that's the key. I think we'll see his, his approach continue to get better, but like, he's a kid you forget, you know, like, Oh yeah, he did all this stuff last year. He's also never really failed like at the, the big league level, like in that first month last year when he struggled, it was more about the umpires than it was right. about him. This time it's him and he's failing and how he reacts. And the initial reaction was to try and swing his way out of it and try and swing harder and do all these things. That was the wrong reaction. Now he's adjusting. I mean, and that's the learning aspect of it. I don't think, you know, when he kind of works himself out of this and gets back to a little bit more refined approach, I don't think we're going to ever see a, a two-month stretch like of just the bad swings and the bad approach that we'll, you know, again from him, because once he kind of learns something and understands it, he doesn't make the same mistake again. Yeah. And speaking to, uh, you know, people that haven't failed in their past, Jared Kelnick, you know, he hadn't ever failed in his, in his past. And then he comes to the major leagues. He had a couple of down years. He had a, he was on a tear to start the year. Things have cooled off recently. What have, what have you seen from Kelnick? Well, they don't throw him any fastballs. Um, I think he, I think the, I don't know. I haven't looked lately, but last time I checked, he saw more breaking balls than any hitter in major league baseball. It was like 65% maybe. Really? Wow. Yeah. And because that's how you get him out. He doesn't hit the breaking ball very far or very hard. And, you know, and he will swing at it, you know, and he will swing and miss. But like, you know, the thing is like, he didn't hit it very hard. He'll foul it off or whatever. And he doesn't always give in. So that's what teams are doing. And until he makes an adjustment to either hit the breaking ball better, be more discerning of the breaking balls he's going to hit, um, they're going to continue to do it. I mean, that's, I think that's, and like, the thing is, is like, you know, some of the guys, like everybody in the big leagues for the most part can throw their breaking ball for a strike. You know, the quality pitchers can do it and throw a good one for strikes. Um so, you know, that's what he's going to have to do. He's going to have to make an adjustment. And what's kind of crazy is, like, the fastballs he is seeing, they're pretty much dotted up. They're never down the middle. They're just not, you know, he's a mistake hitter, and he hasn't gotten very many mistakes. People are executing against him, and it's how does he react. I think in terms of, like, how he's handled it emotionally and stuff, you know, I mean, two years ago, he'd lead the leads and probably broken bats and broken helmets. <laughs> um, I think he's handling it better. He's not happy you know, but I think he's in a better position to handle this failure than maybe before. Yeah, definitely. So as of right now, the uh, Mariners are four games back in the wild card behind the uh, Angels who are three and a half games back. The Red Sox are three games back. Um, you got Toronto, the Yankees, Houston, and Baltimore are really the wild card teams. I, I would like to get into 
you know, what moves might the Mariners make at the deadline? We have about right at a, just under a month until the deadline, August 2nd, the, the trade deadline. There's been some rumors of, uh, you know, the Cardinals and the Mariners talking about exchanging a young bat or bats for a young arm or arms. Have you heard any insight on, on those talks? Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like Morosi mentioned that, but like, if you look at kind of what he said, it's like, it's not really like, it's not like it's a source. Like, yeah, Jerry right. talks to everybody. I mean, Jerry said he talked to the car. When I talked to him about a month ago, he said he, they'd talked to the Cardinals initially before the season, you know, during spring training. Cause everybody knows they had an abundance of outfielders. They talked to him during the off season. Um, but like, I, you know, I think the Cardinals have stubbornly stubbornly believed that they were going to get back into the NL Central race because it's not a very good division. It just hasn't happened. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they're talking to them. You know, they talk to everybody. Um, what's tough right now is you just really don't know who's selling. You know, are the White Sox selling? Right. Maybe. You know, obviously the A's are selling. What do they have to sell? It's like going to a garage sale. I mean, honestly, like Seth Brown would fit the Mariners great as a bench bat. You know, he, they, the Mariners called on him before the season. They said, no, you know, they wanted to keep some guys around, trade him at the deadline. Um, you know, or like a Brent Rooker. Yeah. I mean, and like, is, are the, you know, the A's are very reluctant to trade with the Mariners though. They just don't. In division. Um, yeah. I don't know why. Like they have, but like Mariners tried to get Matt Chapman. They tried, they tried like hell to get Matt Chapman. Um, you know, but they just didn't um, – the A's didn't want to do it. They offered four players for Matt Chapman. And really? They said no. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know the exact ones of it, but, you know, the Mariners seem, claim that it's a better package than what the Blue Jays gave up for Chapman. And, I mean, it, it wouldn't be difficult because that wasn't a very good trade. Um, so, yeah, the A's, the, the, A's, the Marlins maybe, um, White Sox, I guess you know, Rockies, but who do they really have? You know, so it's like, yeah, they could add somebody. Um, they could add a, an outfielder. I don't, you know, they're not going to give up any of their current rotation, like of, you know, they, they may have to give up Brian Wu or Bryce Miller if they really right. wanted a, a dude. Like if they want, they got a guy for like three years, you know, like a guy with like three years of control. Yeah. They're going to have to do that. Um, you know, um, I think they'll add if it's right there, but they're, I, you know, like the idea of getting just like a rental hitter, I don't know that they'll do that. I mean, unless there's somebody out there that they think or somebody gets injured. Um, but yeah, it's it's tough to know because you don't really know who the who the sellers are per se and what's really for sale. Like, and also like um, like for you know a lot can change in a month if they right if they, they have another you know and they 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 don't have an easy road coming out of the. The, out of the break either they get the tigers for three but then they got like a pretty good stretch against winning teams i know the twins are in there so that's sort of winning but like you know if there are six or seven out at the deadline um they might do something different you know they might sell or they might the buying and selling you know you get the trick like the kendall graveman trade a few years ago which was really went over well um right yeah i think they you know i think that they're win two or three games yeah they're gonna they're gonna try and make a make an addition i mean like you know it's how you know obviously it's like the dh kind of spot maybe or a, you know a second baseman I, like i know everybody loves caballero but you know it's you're starting to see some regression there to the mean um 
you know, but like a first base type, first base, third base guy that could help, you know, DH, that would be pretty logical. I mean, you're really essentially getting not much from AJ Pollock or Colton Wong right now. So like if you have another, uh, a, a bat that's kind of more of a presence, you know, I don't know with the, with the White Sox trade Tim Anderson, you know, could he fill in at second base? His bat to ball skills are a little bit better. He's down here. So maybe you don't have to give us, give up as much. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It, it's, the one thing I've realized, like when when you look at like the free agency and the trade predictions and stuff, very rarely like what we think is the obvious choice is what the Mariners are thinking. Jerry always right. kind of goes in a different direction. Like the Castillo one, I, yeah, the Castillo one we kind of figure. But like when they didn't get Trevor Story and all those guys, the last thing I thought they would do was trade for Jesse Winker and Eugenio Suarez. Like that wasn't <laughs> on my radar at all. Yeah. I mean, I, part of it was I knew the Reds were selling. I just didn't know that they, you know, because at the time, Winker wasn't making very much money, but like coming off an all-star year too. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, they definitely, they definitely sold high on that because it's yeah. what they got since. But uh, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like that's the thing, like how do they want to add and who's looking to add or, you know, subtract. I mean, like, you know, like the whole purpose of the trade deadline, you know, why isn't to win the trade? You know, I got a better trade. out. It's just how to help your team in the moment. You know, right. if you're a if you're a crap team, then you're trying to add talent that's younger so you can help you down the road. And if you're a current team, you're trying to add impact right away. I mean, I don't know what that impact will be because like the the central teams will be interesting to see what they do. Like some of them, like the NL Central, like you know, does do the Pirates trade if they keep you know they keep kind of falling, or you know, the Cubs do they move some of their guys? You know, and what the asks are last year the the asks for guys like Ian Happ and and Contreras and some of those guys, not that the Mariners want to Contreras, but the asks on some players last year were pretty ridiculous. And that's another thing is like, you know, you can't give up everything just for a little bit of minimal help. It has to make sense. Right. But the, the one thing they could do is take on some money, like take on a contract. That's maybe a guy's got a bloated contract that a team's like trying to get out from under, you know, I mean, what is it? Maybe it's Solaire, you know, like he makes a bit of money. The mar- He's probably not, he's going to opt out of his deal, but I don't know. I haven't really looked at it that closely because like a week ago, I thought they were going to, you know, trade Teoscar at the deadline and everything else. Cause they were just cratering, you know, after that national series, like I didn't write the season obituary, but they look pretty cooked, you know, national series. Then they're facing the Rays and giants, yeah. just, you know, not going to have it. It's not going to happen. It's just one of those seasons where they underperform against those teams that you think that they should dominate. And then, now they take two out of three against the Rays, two out of three against the Giants. They beat the Astros in the first game in Houston. So, yeah, and it's and it's the timing. Like they're playing the Astros right now, and there's no Alvarez, there's no Altuve, Altuve you know, and the Astros bullpen's a little banged up in their the rotation. I mean, like they they push right. back Framber and everything else. McCullers so, is out too, right? Yeah. So I mean, like you know, it's the timing of it. Like you know, when they played the Astros earlier in the year, Altuve was out, and they took two or three for him. So it's like. Yeah, it changes the math. We'll see what the next three offer. I mean, like, I figured George would be really good because he's just that good. You know, I'll, I'll be interested to see what Castillo does. Um, but, you know, it's after that, it's it's toss-up. Like, how does Brian Wu handle this place? What is – Logan hasn't been particularly great in this place. You know, the Mariners haven't been particularly good in this place. So, we'll right. see. It's definitely a different Astros lineup right now. You don't have Altuve in there. It's just you can kind of pitch around Bregman and – and Tucker and then take your chances with the rest of them. Yeah. And uh, 
if the Cardinals were to sell, and that's just because that was one of the headline names that, you know, there was rumors about, you know, what's the possibility that the Mariners were to trade for someone like Paul Goldschmidt, who has uh, one year left on his contract? I mean, he's got a full no trade. So that'll be. He would have to know, accept whatever team he goes to. Yeah. Yeah. And so who knows whether he would do that or not. He actually, you know, Jerry, Jerry drafted Goldschmidt when he was with the Diamondbacks, him and Tom Allison. Oh, okay. So, I mean, they know him. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, like, I think if you're going to give up a, like a, you know, if you're going to give up somebody like Wu or, you know, that maybe the Cardinals don't want Brian Wu now, although like if they're looking for future help, then he fits more because he's, you know, innings limit this year. Um, right. Or if you send Hancock over there for maybe you do it that way. It's a lot of money, but you could do it. You know, I think they love Lars Newtbar and they like D- Dylan Carlson too. You know, obviously not O'Neill because he's dinged up a lot. Vernon but, Donovan was the name I saw too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they like, I mean, they, they all, all those guys have more control. So they would, you know, if you're going to swap control for control, you'll do that. I mean, but, you know, they, I mean, if Goldschmidt would be even mildly interested, I think he'd help them a little bit because, you know, it's, he's a, he's a presence. He's a good middle of the order bat, even in a down year. He's about never, 30% above average this year. Yeah. And I think if you're, you know, being in a race, you know, would rejuvenate him a little bit. He's boys with AJ Pollock as well. That'd be funny. So you replace AJ Pollock. Like if you went and got him, and, yeah, right. you know, but he's friends with coming in the door. Yeah. Hey, he's boys with AJ Pollock. So I don't, I don't know. Yeah. If it was there, I mean, like if it's a really available, you know, cause you he, he have him for this year and then you have him for one more next year. Right. Right. You know, and he's 36, but it's not like an aging 36 per se. I mean, he won the, you know, NL MVP last year. So, yeah. So it's like, yeah, I don't think he's just going to fall off a cliff. I think, you know, um, yeah. I mean, like if he's there, maybe take a look at it and see, depending on what the ask is. Right. And then speaking to, you know, when you hear the depth in the farm system for the Mariners, you always hear that their pitching is their deepest point, but looking at their, their prospect rankings currently, I mean, you've already graduated Logan Gilbert. You've already graduated George Kirby. Now Bryce Miller, Brian Wu is up here for a certain amount of time. We'll see when he gets limited and if he's moved to the bullpen or, you know, just uh, starts or skipped. But beyond Brian Wu, there's really Emerson Hancock. And then after him, it's like the next starting pitcher, Taylor Dollard. He, he just got season-ending surgery. There's Walter Ford. He's 18 years old. The rest of the guys like Prelin or Baroa are more like bullpen guys. So I'm curious if there really is that much depth in the Mariners farm system, as far as arms beyond what is currently in the major leagues. Uh, Well, like Walter Ford, like people love him. I mean, like I've had some scouts, the Manila missile. Yeah. They love him. Um, Like he was throwing a bullpen this spring and there was probably like 10 scouts. They're watching 10 pro scouts, you know, cause they're, they're, they gotta, they gotta see the guys, but yeah, he's, you know, he's pretty high up the rankings. I mean, look, I haven't. Yeah, he's seven for the Mariners. Yeah. Um, Just because, you know, if they were to trade a Bryce Miller or Brian Wu with Robbie Ray out for the year with Marco's health not there, you know, are they going to come, you know, rely on Emerson Hancock to perform right away? No, they probably get a guy, I think. I think they still might get a guy anyways. Like, you know. What if, if the Red Sox continue the Red Sox continue bad? Do you bring back Paxton? He's been absolutely outstanding this year. 
he'd probably love to come back. You don't, you know, that's, they could go rental pitcher very easily like they did with Tyler Anderson a few years ago. And Giolito you know? with the White Sox, if you were to do yeah. a Tim Anderson type thing, package yeah. him in. Yeah. Um, so like, yeah, Michael Morales doesn't throw as hard, but they really, a lot of people like him. Um, they have, yeah, there's some other guys that are kind of, you know, not known names or on the prospect list, but yeah, it's not quite, the depth isn't quite as good, but like part of their belief is in their depth is that they find guys off the scrap heap and make them better. Right. But yeah, I don't know that they have like, you know, their, their starting pitching depth certainly took a hit. I mean, you gave up Levi Stout, Brandon Williamson, who are both in the, you know, big league Connor time Phillips. already. Yeah. Connor Phillips, um, which I, you know, he's, he's always going to have some issues, but he's okay. Yeah. They, and I'm sure they'll have a good draft class this year as well, but yeah. Yeah. It's a lot younger, like all their best, like their most talented prospects are all below double a right. Know, all high a, you know, high A to, you know, low A to um, DSL. So, yeah, that's, I mean, they don't have a ton of depth. Like if they had to trade one of those guys, you know, they they would have to go get a guy, like a rental. And I mean, they still might. Like if, because like if we was only limited to maybe like 100 innings or 110 innings, I mean, like he's at like 70 or 60 already, you know, that's not very many starts. So Miller is not as much of a deal, but right. Yeah, you know, Marco, Marco hasn't thrown off a mound that I know of yet. So he's not close to coming back. Right. And yeah, I was hearing skepticism on if he'll come back at all this year with how things are panning out. Yeah. It just depends. Like he just, you know, he thought that because they found out that it wasn't the flexor, but the nerve that it would be, a, you know, the, the process would get sped up, but you know, he's now been out for a long time. He's going to have to do a full buildup. So it's yeah. going to take a while. I mean, I wouldn't think we'll see him till probably August 1st. But Yeah. So getting into the draft, uh, this Sunday is obviously a huge day for the Mariners. They have three of the top 30 picks, uh, the 22nd, 29th, and 30th overall picks. Um, I took a look at your article and then just was kind of looking at, you know, I saw Joe, Joe Doyle was on Seattle Times the other day, or uh, Seattle Sports. Um, so it sounds like they might be going pretty heavy high school infielder in the draft. I mean, yeah, I, that's what I've heard. That's just where the best of, players are. Yeah. I, I've heard that a lot from other people. They've had so much success with college pitching too, but like, I right. think the most of the college arms that they like might be gone by then. I think there's a kid out of South Carolina maybe, but like, um, I think they'll have three picks. I think, you know, they may go college pitcher on one of them, but like, you know, go with high school hitter for the other ones. Cause like talking with DePoto, he said, it's like the deepest high school draft class in terms of position players he's seen in a while. And like, he kind of pointed out that, you know, that a lot of these position players that they'll be in line to take the high school kids would be top 15 to top 10 most years. Right. But because of the heaviness of the college class and all those elite college players. Um, that, and then the other, some of the other guys that they just, they're going to have a chance to take some high school kids and get them going. And like they've done it the last two years. And you look at how fast, how fast Harry Ford and Cole Young are moving up through the organization, you know, that they seem to have an idea of how to develop the kids, high school kids quickly, you know, you get the right ones and they can help you quicker than you think. So, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing that, I mean, like I, you never know so much of it is like, 
who gets taken before and what's left, you know? Right. And then what, what do you think the odds are of, you know, them taking a infield college bat because you, you have the hole at second base, you got Caballero, but you need a long-term solution. Eugenio Suarez isn't here forever at third base. So is a college infielder, a potential solution at one of those infield spots? I mean, like, yeah. Cause like the kid from TCU, and the kid Wake from, Forest. Yeah, they're yeah they. I mean, and and they could help within maybe a year or two. Like if they're right. the Wilkin kids, very they're both very advanced. So yeah, they could help in a year or two. Yeah, you, I mean you're not you don't want to totally draft for need. I mean that's how the Mariners ended up with Jeff Clement instead of Troy Tulowitzki yeah. by that kind of thinking. Yeah, but like, I think you just yeah. I mean like, you just take a guy that can have impact. You know, if you're measuring the impact now versus or, you know, next year versus or two years from now versus five years from now, then you go the college route um, and you can take one of each. You could take a college infielder and a high school infielder as well. I mean, like there are some people that believe that Cole Young will be in the big leagues by the end of next season, that he could at least, really? you know, debut by the end of next season. I don't think so. At 20. Yeah, I think, you know. I think he he'll be in the big leagues by 21. You know, he might get a sniff at 21. He'll yeah. be in big league. My guess is he'll be in big league camp next year uh, just because he's got kind of an elevated and mature approach. But yeah, like, same awesome with like yeah, I mean, like there was some, you know, he'll be, I'm surprised he's still at low A. I think after the draft, he'll move up to, to high A because I think he'll go to Everett. Um, and then probably Gabby Gonzalez as well even though he's really young, but like, he's just torching that league already. So they may move him up fast track it, see if it's okay. And I think we'll see Harry Ford in, in Arkansas by after the futures game, honestly, I think he'll go there. Um, Are they looking at not, him at other positions? I, not that I know of, not that I know of. I mean, you've seen how much Cal has been beaten up catching this year physically. Yeah. And I, and I, I don't think they believe they'll be able to sign Cal to an extension. So, He's a Boris guy. Yeah, and I just don't, you know, I mean, who knows? Cal may want to try and get back closer to home on the East Coast. Yeah, I have no idea. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know that they think that they're going to get Cal as a, as an extension candidate. I don't know if they've really broached that subject. They, you know, they offered Logan one when he was still in AAA, and he turned it down. Uh, George, I don't think is going to take one. I, I don't know. It's hard to say. I don't know. They usually don't do that kind of stuff till maybe next year but with some of these guys hitting arbitration numbers you know you might do it to see if you can buy out the arbitration at a better rate but mm -hmm. it's hard to say you know with those guys they some of them just want that freedom they don't want it some want the financial um security right but others want the freedom like when evan white signed his deal it was something he approached the mariners about as well and it was partially because like you know, his mom and his grandma had cancer at the same time. And he was trying wow. to help, you know, pay off some of these bills and stuff too. So it was, you know, um, I don't know. I'll, I'd be interested to see who they extend next. I mean, it, it may, you know, a lot of it comes down to like how well they're performing as a team over this next year or two. Yeah. I would hope to see, you know, Kirby and Gilbert be the next guys just mm -hmm. with just having that rock, you know, of a foundation in the starting pitching. Um, do you think Harry Ford might be a candidate next spring training to be in a position like Julio was a couple years ago to where he has a shot out of spring training? 
Uh, I don't know. I would think maybe midseason at the earliest, you know, before you see him at the big league level, uh, unless there was an injury. Because, I mean, you want him to play, you know, and he don't he doesn't have quite the the hitting. He's not as polished of a hitter as Julio was. Okay. You know, like, like everybody talking like Julio is this raw power guy and stuff like, and he did, he had ridiculous power, but like he was a better hitter. He came back into that, into last year's camp, a better hitter than everybody expected. And part of it was, is people, he didn't like the label of just being a power guy. He wanted to be a better bat to ball guy. And so, you know, he was a better hitter. And I think with a catcher and all the duties you have and the responsibilities you have defensively, like, it just is a little slower track. Like it's not like playing second base, like, you know, Cole young, it's easier for him to debut at age 21 than it would be for Harry Ford because of, you know, just the, the difficulties of the position, you know, it's, it's just, there's too much, there's so much more responsibilities as a catcher than you do as an infielder. Yeah. And Harry has said in the past that he has ADD and that's why he likes to catch because he has to be in every play versus if you throw him at third base, you know, is he looking off in the stands type thing? So, yeah, I, as somebody who has ADD, I know that pain. And like yeah. when I was in when I was in college, I got converted to catching, and because uh, I got kind of fat, um, and and it was perfect for me. Like I I I had those same struggles, like paying attention and just you know you're constantly looking in the stands, and you're just you know catching never allowed me any time to do that, and so. It was like my coach just said, he goes, we sh you should have converted it. I go, I should, I told my coach, I said, I should have converted to catching when I was in high school on a full-time basis. He's like, if you would have done that, you wouldn't be playing here. You'd be playing someplace better. So I was like, oh, thanks. So on draft day, or I guess, have you seen any behind the scenes of the Mariners draft, the draft room, kind of what goes on that experience? Uh yeah, we've been there. We were able to do it a few years. I mean, you don't get to see the board, their big board or anything, but you're kind of in there. It's pretty crazy. They, they have just big U-shaped tables. Like, you know, it's like a, tables are set up in a huge U, and then they, they have the TVs going, and they have a board and stuff like that, and they, they're sitting there talking and going through it. I remember, um, like, the one year when Kyle Lewis fell – in the draft because some people thought he could have went one one or you know even in the top five and he he fell a little bit and you could just see them start to pace because they they knew they wanted him bad and like the reaction when he wasn't taking the pick before and they were able to take him like that place went crazy it went crazy you know and and i remember the year like uh i think it was logan's year too maybe where they got logan and logan fell they didn't think they were going to get to him Get, he was going to get to them and then they were able to get to him and they went pretty crazy too. So it's like, those were big deals. Like you could see that they get really excited. You could hear him, a lot of fist pumping and cheering and stuff like that. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and then can you walk us through a day in the life of a, you know, Seattle times Mariners beat writer? What does that look like? I know it's a grind. Like it is. it's not very, it's not very exciting. Um, I don't know. Um, it helps. I don't sleep a lot. So I try and I try and I'm trying to be up and having like coffee by seven every day. Um, and usually that's, I get up, have some coffee, you know, check Twitter, you know, check Twitter and my email and basically any hopes and dreams I've had of having a good day are usually crushed before my very eyes right then and there. <laughs> um, you know, I try to work out and then like, but I'm on call. So like, I'm checking in 
with sources with the Mariners, is anything going on today early? Like, is there going to be a roster move or anything like that? Sometimes you already know what the moves are going to be. Like, you know, like the Isaiah Campbell, and we knew two days ago he was getting called up, um, but we just didn't really report it because, like, you know, they asked us not to just because it wasn't – it wasn't official. Yeah. Well, and, like, it wasn't official. Like, and, in, in like, you know, he could have tripped and fallen down the stairs. Then he doesn't get called up. So, yeah. Um. So, yeah, so just check in to see – and then, like, if news happens, you know, I try and go to the gym or whatever for an hour, hour and a half. Um, usually, though, I'm when I'm on the at the gym, I'm watching, um, I'm watching MLB Central or, you know, reading. Uh, yeah, no, I don't. I don't watch. I don't watch Mad Dog. Yeah, <laughs> I've been on that show several times. I've been on with the dog. With the that's with awesome the dog. Yeah, like Ryan, good kid here. Good kid. Good looking. Yeah. Kid. You got a girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, good kid. <laughs> Cause like he'll sit there, he'll make this long point like, "Well, I am, say, Mariners, they, they don't hit. They just they don't hit. You know, go ahead. You look, yeah, you you look at that lineup. That's not a good lineup. It's not a good lineup in baseball. Thoughts? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, uh, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> but like, no. So watch some the MLB Central show or whatever on the if I'm on the stair climber because I just DVR because I don't get up early enough to watch it. Um, you know, I'll watch you know or listen to sports talk. You know, and then work out and then. I'm home and and usually because I live in Tacoma, you know, I give myself an hour for the commute and I like to be at the stadium by two o'clock every day. So I'm leaving by one o'clock. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you know, and then, um, so yeah, I go to the gym, come home, shower and head up, you know, so I, I like to be there by two. Um, cause like, you know, clubhouse usually opens at on home games, at like two twenty now. So that gives me at least, you know, 20 minutes to, get situated, make my mess on the big tables, um, maybe do some more work emails or go through some of the stuff like read, you know, I'll check to see what Kramer's written at MLB.com or what's going on in fan graphs. And then, you know, go down there and then, you know, you've been up there, we go hang out clubhouse dugout. And then I have to write a pregame notebook. Okay. Uh, if it's just me. So I got a pregame notebook and I have to have that by about 20 minutes before our first pitch done. And then when I cover the game, we have to have a story file. They call it a running game story. I have to have that file after the last out. And then we go down talk to the players, managers, and um, then I go back up and update it, add quotes and everything. So, like, usually I'm writing upwards of 2,000 words every day, sometimes more. And then, you know, like these days um, with all the all-star news and stuff happening, it's another – like the other day – the other day when I was in San Francisco, we have our special section for the all-star game coming out. So I wrote my story, my main story about baseball, Seattle being a better baseball town than people think. And I had multiple iterations because we were going to do something on Julio, but then we weren't sure if he's going to make it. We're going to do something on the the new golden age of Mariners baseball. Well, when they're five games under 500 and just lost the nationals, can't really write that story. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, I, and so like we kind of read readjusted. So I wrote that one and I had to write a story on Otani like the dream of Otani being here. So that was, those were both, that was one was 2000 and one was the other 1800. Plus then I had all my daily stuff and I wrote four stories for the paper that day. Cause I was like, when the all-star stuff came out, Bryce Miller's in going on the IL, all that stuff. So I was like, I think that day it was like a six, 7,000 word day. And I basically started writing at seven in the morning. I didn't stop until after the game was over with, but those, that's the exception. But like, yeah, most days are basically I wake, you know, you're on call for any news happening, like with the trade deadline coming up, you're really on call. 
So they'll just call you and be like, Hey, there's a story that just happened when you need to cover this. No, I just do it. Like I tell them I cover and you know, like if, okay. if I, I should know before my editor, if anything's going on, if my editor calls me to say something's happening, then like I've messed up badly. Yeah. Cause I have alerts on my phone for everything. Right. So, um, but yeah, like I know. Tom Rossi and, uh, yeah, passing and all those. Yeah. Guys. Passing. So like, I usually, and like, I have sources in the Mariners that give me a heads up when, Hey, we might have news today. Okay. You know, there might be something going on today. So I'll get a heads up. They won't tell me exactly what's happening, but yeah. So it's, it's pretty much, you know, it's, it's, it's all day consuming. Like, you know, when people don't like realize it, like my girlfriend finally kind of has figured it out. Like, cause she just couldn't believe like how much, like how tethered to my phone I am and how, like, I never stop thinking about the job during the day. Very rarely. Even like when I'm at, like I said, when I'm at the gym, I used to try and watch reruns of Jeopardy and stuff when I'm at the gym and I still do. But like a lot of times it's where I catch up on my reading of like other people's stuff or check fan graphs reading, you know, or think about stuff. So it's, you know, it's been a lot. Having Adam Jude uh, on the beat has helped um, helping me out. We've, we've split up a lot of the daily work and that makes it better. It allows you, it allows you to think about stuff and come up with better ideas. Cause you get so ingrained in the moment. And like I say, yeah, my, my girlfriend has shown exceptional patience. It helps probably that she lives in Montana. So she doesn't like, like the, the divorce rate for baseball writers is really high. And everybody says, Oh, it's cause you're on the road a lot. Now the road games aren't what kills you. It's the home games. Cause yeah. you're not home, you know, and, people that have normal human like jobs are working from nine to five. And I go to work from essentially one till midnight every night right. or noon to midnight is kind of what I, I always say it's like noon to midnight is when my job really gets going, you know, but like, you know, you still have all the other responsibilities of, you know, a business that still operates in normal business hours. Like I still have to do like, make appearances at meetings on zoom or whatever for work stuff that's during the day. So it, it, it can be encompassing. And so I, and like, you know, travel stuff too. So honestly, like on the road, I have more time on the road than I do at home. Road is easier because I don't have the commute and I don't feel like I have to be responsible to other stuff. Like I'm on the road, you know, you're in a hotel, get up, go to the gym. It's all just baseball. Like I don't feel like I have to do laundry or be a, a normal adult. I just kind of do this. Yeah. Well, sure to be a busy, uh, week and then next month for you with, with the trade deadline, but, um, yeah, excited to see where things, where things go. Um, I got one question. So with my brand, the couch GM, you know, I kind of set up on the sidelines pregame. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts? I'm thinking of buying an inflatable couch and <laughs> a battery powered air pump. Oh yeah. And straight up you know, inflating a couch on the sideline with a sign next to it saying, you know, the couch GM. Oh, for when you want to interview players. Yeah. So then they would be sitting on a couch with me, you know, that'd be interesting. You better ask the, you know, I'll have to ask the uh, grounds crew if you're able to do it, but that'd be interesting. I just, just think that'd be, just remember if it's inflated and I'm on, just if, it, if it's inflated and I go today down to take a nap, don't wake me up. Yeah. Right. Okay. I'll bring a pillow. Okay. For you. Yeah. Well, uh, Ryan, yeah, I really appreciate your time. It's been awesome getting to know you, you know, at the mm -hmm. ballpark and, uh, um, yeah, big fan of your work and looking forward to seeing how things progress for the Mariners. Yeah, no problem. I, like we'll do this again after the trade deadline. And apparently since I don't do my own podcast anymore, 
pissing people off by not doing it, I'll do yours and then you can just promote that instead. Yeah, let's do it. All right. All right, man. Have a good uh, time in Houston. All right. Take it easy. All right. See ya.